Serie A fans, benvenuti. Welcome to the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. I am your host, Daniel Proc, and I am in great company as always. So please let me welcome on the show Chris Manfor, the EPL podcast host and a professor of innovation at the University of Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Come stai, Chris? Bien, bien. Things are good. How, how are things in Italy? What's, what's the mood over there? So the mood is not too positive in that and there's no pun intended with the virus here because the government just released a new decree that uh, prohibits uh, movements and travel uh, in and around Christmas so from the 24th to the 26th uh, you cannot uh, go from your town to the next town so what I'm gonna personally do is have uh, an early Christmas lunch with my with my grandma so on the 24th because the, the band starts with a, a 10 p.m that night and then just gonna have to spend uh the 25th to the 26th as well as uh, new year's eve uh, we'll have to stay in uh we'll now be able to travel and to uh change to drive across cities but what about you uh, chris how's the situation in uh, north carolina I think overall in the country, things are getting worse. Where, where I am in Orange County, things are, are holding um, pretty firm, but there's still youth soccer that's being played, uh, which is a positive thing. It is, it is wearing masks. Um, so oh. uh, now is, 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 yeah, so they're going to have to wear masks where they play in North Carolina. Now, if we go to South Carolina, you don't have to wear masks. Wow. So, uh, the showcases are still going on, um, though the, the coaches aren't coming as much. So uh, do you think there's going to be much impact with, um, with, in the city uh, and, and the lower leagues due to COVID, as far as you can tell? Absolutely not, because the president of uh, Fiji Chi, with, which is the uh, Italian Federation for Football, uh, they just said it clearly. Uh, he just said it very clearly, very plainly, that uh, top-level football will not stop. And uh, we know why. It just, it's just too important, too crucial for the economy. And it's just also such a big uh, form of entertainment for, uh, for the people, such a distraction, right, during these times when we are uh, locked inside. Um, but, Chris, how does it work? Uh, the, the kids are playing with masks. Can they pull it down when the, after a 40-meter sprint? Or what's the deal with that? Um, you got me intrigued. Well, they're not supposed to, but I guess the idea is that they can go socially distance and, and, and pull the mask down. So, um, mm. you know, the, the youth soccer is wrapping up uh, because of the holidays, um, but it's been, a, it's been instituted in the last week or so. And, and you know, the, the students are, or the youth are, are trying to get used to that. I noticed that in pickup uh, matches because of the state mandate, uh, they're, not everybody is complying to it, but they're, the numbers are getting more and more. So it'll be an interesting mm -hmm. social experiment to see what happens because I think pickup's going to continue to happen uh, 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 over the holidays. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky time right now. And you guys, I understand, are, are getting the rain from the heavens in addition to the COVID. You, you've had a lot of precipitation. Is that going to affect pitches very much in, in Italy? Well, uh, as you saw this past weekend, there were, there were a couple of games that got postponed. The Atalanta one, the ball um, just couldn't bounce on the field. And that's, that's just rule. When the referee drops the ball on the field and that the ball doesn't bounce, then they have to postpone the game. So it's been uh, raining heavily for the past week or so. Some rivers in Italy have overflown, causing uh, large damage 
in some cities and it, it looks like it will continue to rain for uh, another five to seven days. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to keep things under control. Hopefully um, no more Serie games will be postponed because the, the schedule is already so thick. Chris, so let's begin by talking about what happened this past weekend. And we cannot help but begin with speaking about AC Milan, the undisputed and undefeated Serie A leaders, to borrow an expression from boxing. Well, undisputed because COVID and injuries have tried in recent times to weaken this squad, but they have uh, nonetheless kept performing and are still holding that first place very firmly. They're now five points clear of the second place. And undisputed because they have an 8-2-0 and zero record in this Serie A season, Chris. It's pretty amazing. I mean, their, their expected goals of the season so far is about 2.28 compared to their opponents of 1.12. Uh, and they're actually outs, outscoring. Their actual goals is greater than their XG. They're averaging about 2.6 goals. So they are taking care of business, right? And, and I, I think there was a lot of question on whether this team could continue to prosper without Ibra. Mm -hmm. And um, the youngsters seem to be taking care of business. They seem to be, um, you know, they're taking 16, 15 shots a game and they're putting six on target. That's, wow. that's really good. And, and, you know, we worried about the over-reliance. And so far, the jury seems to be going Milan's way. That and I just think some absolute first-rate uh, goalkeeping. Um, from Donorama. Yep. Uh, you know, he's uh, right now, he's second uh, in the league in terms of prevented goals per 90. Uh, and that's and that's the difference between the expected goals scored against him and the actual. So uh, he is he's taking care of business. And I, I just I'm so pleased to see how the unit uh, is working together on this. Do you think they have the legs to continue to go the distance? Well, Chris, these youngsters not only have they shown that they're not Ibra addicted, um, but uh, to be honest, a recent analysis from Gazzetta dello Sport revealed that Milan have done slightly better without Ibra on the field than with him on the field when it comes to average uh, points per game. It's not a big difference. It's just um, an indicator of uh, how well the, the youngest team in the Europe's top five leagues is doing um and uh, to answer your question i think they do have the legs and the mentality manager stefano pioli he himself said after the game that uh he was impressed of the performance that milan uh showed against uh, the sampdoria in the 2-1 win away this past weekend and uh now milan sit at 26 like we said five points more than the rivals and cousins inter if there is one weakness that I have to point out in this Milan teams uh, comes from the numbers, right? They have considered so far uh, very few goals, nine, but seven of them have come from set pieces, which is uh, probably where uh, opponents are going to try to uh, to thrive, right? When uh, when facing AC Milan, and like you mentioned, Chris, there was a key save by Donnarumma early in the game that could have really um, forced the game in the other way uh, on that header by some dirty defender, uh, Tonelli, right? I couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, those being able to make uh, 
unexpected saves in the first 15 or 20 minutes. As you know, it, it sets the tone. And I know a goalkeeper never goes onto the pitch thinking, I need to make a great save in the first 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it happens, it just gives a lift uh, to your team. Maybe the mojo wasn't right. It helps crystallize things. What I can't get over is if, if you look at uh, statistics, uh, Y Scouts, successful actions per 90, you look at defensively, There's no one from Milan in that top 10 list. If you Mm. look at in terms of strikers, uh, Rebic uh, is maybe ninth or 10th. So they're able to win as a team. Um, You know, even, you know, uh, Ibra is, is got um, 10 goals, but he doesn't do a whole lot in terms of assists and, 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 and other elements. Um, Defensive work. (laughs) That's exactly right. That, so I'm just impressed that as a team, they're young, they're working really hard for each other, uh, and the outcomes are showing. I, I still worry that there's going to be a regression back to the mean on this, but they've mm-hmm. played some tough competition already. It's not like they've had a soft schedule. And quite honestly, the next few weeks, you know, they've, they've got a pretty uh, a, a fairly easy schedule compared to their peers. That's true. And back to your point about uh, the save – if Sampdoria had uh, scored first in that game, that would have been a very tough game for Milan because uh, Sampdoria showed to be very organized, especially in the first half, sitting in two lines of four. Uh, Claudio Ranieri asked a lot from a concentration standpoint to his players in terms of when to step, when to wait, when to double down on players, when to run back. But Milan was good in that they kept swinging the ball left to right and vice versa especially finding success on the right flank with right back Davide Calabria. Uh, and then at the end of the first half, there was an episode, penalty kick for AC Milan, converted by Frank Essi. The second goal was scored by Samu Castillico, who had been on the pitch for only 34 seconds. That was his first touch of the game. And Chris, not, not only that, but Matteo Gabbia started as a centre-back, was extremely solid in that game. Uh, Jens Hauge, came in and initiated the play that led to uh, AC Milan's second goal. And these are players that don't always see the field, don't always get much playing time. So I think that the fact that you see the players that are not often in your starting 11 and they come in and they're ready and they make a difference like that, that just a sh- uh, shows you what enthusiasm right now is there on the team. And that's why I see your point when you say that there's going to be a little drop, maybe a physiological drop in the performances because without enthusiasm, maybe the team is not going to perform as well. I don't know. What do you think? Completely. I mean, you look at that PK, and we've talked about this before. In, in my mind, that is absolutely ridiculous that that was a PK. Right? Really? Now, the arm, the arm was out of place. But when, peop- when you have humans, last time I yeah. checked with two arms and two legs, if you're going to move, jump, and run, those arms are going to have to move. And I think we need to move to an indirect kick from where the infraction occurred unless it's deemed intentional. And I just feel like that, that's a perfect instance where Milan, they work hard, they, they play hard for each other, but you have to have a little bit of luck at the right time to have a run like they've had. And that's, here we are. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to push back on the, on the PK because that's just a lack of responsibility by Yankton, the Sampdoria player that handballed 
uh, on that occasion because it's true. You're going on an uh, aerial duo with an opponent that was uh, Teo Hernandez, but you cannot lower your head and raise your arm. That's just not natural. And that's what uh, um, uh, I guess the rules say when it's, the arm is in an unnatural position, that's a PK. Obviously, hmm. it wasn't a dangerous situation because um, the header would have gone probably wide, but hey, if it landed on an on a arm, I think it's always a PK because you can always argue it's stopping something, right? An offensive, an offensive uh, play. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Right. <laughs> I, I think we could go around in circles and circles, but it's, yeah. I mean, I just, we have to recognize human ergonomics for what it is and the <laughs> intent of the rule, which is trying to get a special advantage. And I don't, now, whether he was competent or incompetent is another question. But sometimes, when, as you know, when you're banging, when you're going up and banging up against someone your size or even bigger, bodies go out of shape. And I just, uh, I, but I, I don't know if, if good judgment is going to prevail here. But in the meantime, Milan has, the, has, the, has a beautiful runway in the next few weeks to be successful. Absolutely. And it will begin with uh, uh, Parma in round 11 of Serie A this weekend, where Milan will try to go 9-2-0. Milan is one of two teams in Serie A to be undefeated still with Juventus. And by the way, Milan are already through uh, the Europa League group stage and they will play uh, round of 32. But let's move to the other side of the city of Milan. Let's talk about Inter. Chris, guess who was on the score sheet for Inter this week? Yeah, so Inter... What's, what's, what's I, the I would, guy that was on the score sheet? <laughs> I don't know. Lukaku. Lukaku okay. uh, continues to be the man. Uh, you know, in, in terms of expected goals, they had 1.8 for Inter and 0.82 uh, for Bologna. Um, and the truth is, is Lukaku was fairly clinical. Um, there were three three goals uh, uh, versus one. There were 13 shots on goal, which made for a, a pretty exciting game. Uh, and Bologna, interestingly enough, had more possession um, uh, rather than less. And, you know, I, I just – I will tell you, one of the interesting surprises has been that uh, I didn't th- – I thought that Sanchez was has been continuing to underperform – but if you look at the amount of progressive passes and the smart passes that he's doing, uh, along with Vidal, right, which you, you kind of think he, he gives you pep, but there are um, other elements where um, these journeyman veterans are adding that connectivity so then someone like a Lukaku uh, can go and be successful. Um, so that, that's been really that really showed dem- in that particular match. I just feel like the pieces are there, even though quite candidly, they've been uneven um, and earlier in the league. And then as we know, they have their backs up against the wall uh, with respect to champions league. What's, what's your take on, on where they are right now? So um, like you said, Romero Lukaku, again, uh, decisive player, eighth goal in the season, and the other guy, they want to score the brace in that game against Bologna, Akraf Hakimi. I think he, as well, is going to have to step up and be decisive now that the last game of the group stage, uh, of the Champions League group stage, comes around on Wednesday against 
um, Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, Chris, I, last week uh, I wrote this article for, uh, for Forbes delineating the situation of uh, these Italian clubs in Champions League. And although Inter are last in Group uh, B with five points, they have fairly good chances to qualify because at seven we have Shakhtar Donetsk and Real Madrid and at eight we have Borussia Mönchengladbach, right? But Inter will play um, Shakhtar Donetsk. So if they win the game, they will jump to eight. Now, if Real Madrid and Borussia don't tie, so if either one wins, Inter are through. So I don't see this as an impossible scenario to qualify, do you? I, I don't, assuming that there is not a, is it, is it called a biscotti uh, arrangement between Mönchengladbach uh, and Real oh, Madrid? Yeah, yeah, you're talking about the biscotto, which translates biscotto. as cookie. Yeah which is just a tacit, but also not tacit, just a, a, an open <laughs> conversation between the two captains or the veterans of two teams when they just agree on, uh, on getting one point each, on tying the game to go through both. If, if, that, if that game ties, you know, you know what the, the, the Italian Federation is going to be screaming about. You know why so, um, it will not tie? Because, why is that? Because if they tie... Real Madrid and uh, Borussia and Inter wins um, sorry and Shakhtar wins against Inter then Real Madrid are out do you think that Real Madrid will settle for a draw while risking that this draw will push them out Real Madrid the club with the most Champions League trophies in the history of football yeah, I, I think there's, there's some truth to that. Um, there's going to be enough doubt in Real Madrid where if things do go the wrong way in the other match, they could be out. Um, so they're going to have to bring it. Um, you know, I, I, I really expect Barella, Brozovic, and Vidal to continue to step up. I mean, mm -hmm. in terms of top 10 midfielders in Serie A, they are leading it in terms of progressive passing. And that's, that's feeding uh, Martinez, that's feeding Lukaku. That's why the, the engine's running. And then you're having Sanchez go and, and do those extra, um, put in the extra shift um, and create successful attacking actions per 90. So that's what the composition is. I think this is going to be a box of chocolates. These next couple of days, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what, how that particular group settles. Uh, the situation is already kind of settled for the uh, group with Juventus and Barcelona that both sure. already through. They are about to play, actually, as we're speaking. Uh, and Juventus will qualify as first only if they beat Barcelona at Camp Nou with a three-goal margin. But let's rewind. Let's talk about what happened in Serie A with Juventus because it seems that they always have to win the Derby della Mole in the last minutes of the game. Talking about Juventus win... Uh, for 2-1 to one against Torino from this past weekend. Chris, when Andrea Pirlo was uh, himself a player for Juventus, he won the derby um, in stoppage time with a shot from the 25 yards out a few years ago. And last weekend, uh, thanks to two similar goals, uh, one was a header by the young, talented American player Weston McKinney, the other one was a header by Leonardo Bonucci, uh, they just gave Juventus uh, the win in the in the derby della mole but these goals were too similar chris they both came from a uh, from the right flank uh, a serve from juan cuadrado uh, nice delivery but 
I cannot help but blame Torino's defense for leaving in, on both occasions a one versus three defensively in the box. So I mean, what's wrong there? Is that zonal marking not functioning? Is that a lack of communication? Is that an inability to stay locked in while the opponent puts you under extreme pressure? That was a head scratcher, to be honest with you. The fact that Syria are level defenders mm-hmm. are ball watching like that. Now, mind you, in that first goal that, that McKinney scored, there were actually three other Juve players next to him. It looked like a, <laughs> a, a scrum or like a, an American football run up the middle. Uh, and I just, I, I am shocked that that, that that happens. As your former coach used to say, uh, players score goals, not spaces. Mm-hmm. And, and I just really feel strongly, anything inside the eight, defender needs to pick up a body and frankly needs to look at that body as much, if not more than where the ball is, because the body is going to be the one that scores the goal. If it comes, if it, if the goal is scored from the cross or something else, that's not your problem. That's the Mm -hmm. goalkeeper. That's his job. So I will tell you, I really felt that Torino had an opportunity to, to win this one. They were on the front foot fairly early. They were up 1-0. And there were a couple other opportunities that they, they were I, – I think they were sitters. And, but guess what? Juve grinds it out, right? The XG was pretty similar. Juve had 1.47 and Torino had 1.19. So it just kind of comes down to that finishing and, you know, some, some nice headers. Hats off to Juve for that that impressive win. Absolutely, and historically, the the Juventus Torino game is the is the game that makes Juventus click. So um, multiple times under, uh, especially under Allegri, uh, Juventus would struggle in the first few weeks of the league, and then the derby will come around. They will win it, and after that, Juventus fifteen wins in a row in Serie A, and then by March they're first in the. Uh, in the table, so let's see how that happens. But yeah, you're right. Those goals they look like a um, like a a drill for for the strikers, right? Just cross it in, and we we're just gonna practice our headers. I'm gonna have to say that it is especially tough for defenders when the ball gets uh, delivered in and you clear it, and then you have to uh, push up with the line. Obviously, otherwise uh, you're gonna keep everybody on side. You push up. And as you push up, you have to keep an eye on your man and on the, on the server. So that might create confusion. But obviously, at that level, that kind of confusion is not admissible, right? You need to have more communication to solve problems with, with communication there. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I obviously couldn't hear what, if it was the keeper that was pushing them up. But the truth is, is that you had two defenders, which were two yards behind the rest of the uh, the Torino defense pushing up. And that's why McKinney and, and three others were more or less kept on sides. So you just, that though is bread and butter defending. That That's coached for U15, U16 uh, <laughs> in terms of keeping those lines and pushing up. And, you know, they had, they had their chances. It got, it's close. I could have gone, it could have gone a different way. Um, if, if just those little extra details were taken care of. Napoli swept Crotone 4 to nothing. Uh, two more assists from the Serie A assist leader Dries Mertens. He now has five. 
in general in the game there was simply no chance for the newly promoted side Crotone who haven't yet won a game in this Serie A season and sit uh, last in the table. Chris, Napoli's manager Gennaro Gattuso, a two-time Champions League winner with Milan and a 2006 World Cup winner with Italy, he said after the game, in this team I'd be a bench warmer. So I'll ask you two things. First, do you agree? And second, what reaction is he trying to get from his players with that statement? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a mind reader, but, but my take is really the following, is uh, he, the game has changed so much um, since, since his era in terms of the technical ability of the players and the sort of speed that he has is just apps that, that the midfield currently has. Um, you know, I think he's being a little modest. You know, I think he's being complimentary towards um, his, his midfield on that. You know, unfortunately, it's, it, after Crotone, who's if I think I remember reading in your article in Forbes, they have the lowest payroll or one of the lowest payrolls in City A. And quite candidly, it showed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in light of, of, of the fouls and, and sending off and all that. But, you know, it's, it's so hard to compare this era with, with previous eras. But I have to tell you, I absolutely love the connectivity and the creativity. I would argue that that, that midfield is probably one of the most creative midfields in, in all the big five uh, leagues. Would you agree or disagree? Because you said that, I'm going to go ahead and break down the first goal, which started with an incredible play by midfielder Peter Zielinski. So he receives the ball uh, around the center of the, um, uh, of the circle, he nuts, nutmegs his opponent, right? Uh, he then goes on. He plays the ball wide for left winger Lorenzo Insigne. And uh, then Insigne does what he's known for, right? He cuts inside and just draws a perfectly curved trajectory to the far post, scoring uh, the opening goal for Napoli. Chris, these shots are very similar to what uh, uh, another great Italian player used to do with his feet. I'm talking about Alessandro Del Piero. Uh, it wasn't a coincidence that Del Piero was named after a great Italian artist, Pinturicchio. Uh, I love the analogies between uh, Italian football and art and uh, what other place, uh, what other country uh, besides Italy uh, is better suited for these analogies, right? No question. No question. I mean, it's you look at, at these... Syria strikers, successful attacking actions per 90. And it's just littered with, with the Napoli wingers and strikers. They've got a really, really good thing going on right now. And let's not forget, they uh, have to qualify for uh, uh, Europa League's round of 32. Right now they're first uh, with 10 points, but the second and third team uh, and teams are both on eight so uh, if they lose on Thursday against uh, Real Sociedad, they will risk getting eliminated. I don't think they will. I hope they won't get eliminated because, like you said, it's just a pleasure to watch, to watch Napoli. So that's another, uh, another game, another group stage to look out for. Chris, in the other upper half of the table, uh, there were a few interesting matches. Roma was, uh, was held back at home by Sassuolo. 
or vice versa, considering that Sassuolo stands one point above the Giallorossi in the standings, 19 and 18 respectively, uh, 5th and 6th in the table. That game saw a lot of polemics uh, because of uh, VAR disallowed goals, red cards, uh, and potential PKs not given. The bottom line is that the game ended 0-0. Lazio won at Spezia 2-1. Ciro Immobile and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic uh, brought the win to Simone Inzaghi's men, who now um, can focus on what's coming next because uh, they qualified for, uh, uh, with the draw today against Club Brugge, they qualified for uh, the round of, uh, of 16 of, uh, of Champions League, which, Chris, is a big incentive, not just because you are among the best 16 uh, European clubs, but it also brings quite a good amount of money. Uh, just qualifying is worth around 10 million euros. Not too bad, right? No, it's for, for a club like Lazio, it's, it's very important, um, and even more so for clubs like Atalanta. So that is some lifelines. That's worth mm-hmm. buying a player or two, or that's worth kind of uh, carrying on in this difficult time of COVID. So uh, I think it's, it's fantastic that Lazio carried on. You know, they've kind of um, struggled a bit in the league, but they've taken care of business in Europe. You know, they, they had two shots on goal uh, this weekend uh, and they had two goals, right? So uh, that's talk about being as ruthlessly efficient as you can be. Uh, that's what they did. And that 5-3-2 five, five, setup is, is working very well for them right now. And they risked. They, they took some risks in, uh, risks in that game against Spezia because Spezia got one back. Uh, and then uh, Inzaghi subbed off Immobile, subbed off Luis Alberto, obviously to have them rested for, for the, the Champions League game. Uh, but eventually Lazio were able to uh, bring home the, the victory. Because you mentioned Atalanta, uh, Atalanta will have uh, to at least come away with a tie from Amsterdam where they will play uh, Ajax. They're currently sitting one point above Ajax. So a tie will just qualify them, uh, qualify them as second, whereas Liverpool have already qualified as first. And Chris, you said it, for a club that has a player's wage bill that is around 43 million euros, getting 10 just for qualifying for the round of 16 is massive. Also, considering that uh, each win in the group stage is worth about 2.7 million and um, each each draw is worth about 900,000. That's according to um, estimates that were released uh, about last uh, edition of the Champions League. Um, so let's, let's root for Atalanta tomorrow because they have a great chance, like you said, to not only uh, gain even more prestige, but also, yeah, to continue that uh, uh, Cinderella uh, kind of image that they had built around themselves, right? Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting point. You know, one if you take a look at the superficial look at the numbers, you know they've they've given up a fair number of goals. They've given up sixteen goals, um, uh, and that's a for you to want to be in the top five or six in Serie A. That's not acceptable. The interesting thing is is that Romero, Palomino, and uh, Jim Jesty, Jim City, yeah. they're they're top three in City A in terms of successful defensive actions per 90. So mm-hmm. they, are, they are going heart and soul into this. 
the problem is the system um, leaves leaves them pretty exposed uh, and wide open, and it's it's a lot like what what Leeds's problem is uh, in in the in the Premier League uh, is because they are, they are so aggressive and so offensively minded. You know the Leeds defenders are leading in the Premier League as well. So it's going to be one of those situations where we're going to choose this philosophy of play where we're going to score a lot of goals and it's going to be super exciting, mm-hmm. but we're also going to get a lot of goals scored on us, not because we have poor defenders, but it's because the system leaves us exposed to getting goals scored on us. Any thoughts on that? No, you're right. You're right. Atalanta play, play that way. That's why uh, they're exciting to, uh, to watch. And that's the way I hope they will keep um, that's what the identity that I hope they will uh, preserve. Um, it's still fascinating to me how uh, this club keeps doing great things with that little, that modest amount of money that they can use every year. Uh, that's why, even though on the field, I wouldn't call them uh, the fairy tale, the Cinderella, right? Because on the field, they've shown to be very talented and uh, to be working very well together. But if you look just at the budget side of things, they're still the Cinderella, right? They're still the club that with fewer financial capabilities uh, are able to just uh, overachieve every year. I, I, would, I would very much agree with you on that. You know, I, I think the, the, the point to keep with Atalanta, small budget, punching above their weight on any given day against one of the other top teams, they can win. Mm-hmm. The question is, is does their playing style, is that conducive to beating mid to lower uh, table teams over the course of a season? And the answer so far has been no, right? And, and you know, they, they've done well enough to, to qualify for Champions League. But, you know, we in the very beginning of the – season we talked about are they a legit contender and I would argue no as much as I love their style I just don't think they're going to be able to seriously contend unless they get some absolute absolute superstar defenders that can overcompensate for the openness of the system. I'm going to ask you one last uh, very cynical question about Atalanta so could it be that because players now uh, they have started to play Champions League football for two or three years now. They kind of, uh, they're very good at getting ready emotionally and physically for uh, the Champions League games. So Tuesday and Wednesday, but when the league comes around again on the weekend and maybe they're facing uh, a lower, um, lower half of the table team, just, it just comes natural that they struggle to get the motivation high because, well, we just beat Liverpool 2-0 away, uh, and three days later, it's just tough to recollect that kind of nervous energy, that kind of physical energy, because human beings have emotion, and if you're not put in front of Salah, of Mane, of uh, Thiago Alcantara, of those big players, obviously you're going to have to draw motivation from somewhere else. It's not as easy, though, because you have to kind of uh, make an effort to drop motivation versus having it naturally. Would you say that could be something that's happening among the Atalanta players? Well, you are the professional soccer player. So uh, you are inclined to think that 
I, I am as well, right? I mean, it's one thing to play with Salah on, on Wednesday or so and then show up. So I, I agree with you on that uh, account. But the truth is, is uh, that, you know, you want to go as deep as you can in Champions League and the consummate professionals are going to be able to figure out a way to balance. Um, it's just, it's so hard because you can tell the players are leggy right now, right? And what's amazing is that they're tired from Champions League and in over <laughs> starting next week, they're going to be going to two matches a week within the domestic yeah. leagues across Europe. So uh, it's just going to be amazing to see what happens and you know it could be a lot of u23s it could be u19s that are going to be getting minutes <laughs> this year because yeah. of uh, of all this but you know i do i am a little concerned against sportello who you know he has underperforming he's kind of 16th in the in the league in terms of prevented goals and mm. prevented goals per 90 so you know there you would think a goalkeeper spends a lot of time yelling and and uh and uh you know passing the ball back and forth but it could be fatigue but it's it's hard to say and i'm hoping that atalanta gets it done and and makes that payday uh and, and keeps that cinderella story in the champions league to use your point going yeah and for the for the goalkeeping uh side of things uh maybe sportello also feels the pressure from uh, um from golini the keeper that used to start but then um He's been through a lot of injuries lately. He came back a couple of weeks ago, got injured right away. So maybe also, I don't know, not having, not feeling the, the, the starting position may be an issue according to the stats that you just brought up. Chris, uh, we cannot end the episode without talking about um, the meaning of what's happening tonight. Uh, Leo Messi against Cristiano Ronaldo facing again in Champions League after almost a decade. How big is this rivalry? Like, uh, how excited are you to just watch them and uh, uh, enjoy enjoy what they do? Players that, by the way, are starting to age at least on paper. Well, you know, I, I must admit, I'm I'm saddened by the notion that this could be the last time that they play against each other. Mm. And they haven't played each other for some years, um, which I didn't fully appreciate. And, you know, an, an era is drawing to a close. And Ronaldo certainly has evolved as a player. Uh, Messi has uh, clearly evolved as a player. The step seems to be there in bursts, but the sustainability is not for Messi. Mm -hmm. Um you know, Ronaldo still seems to have the hops that he's had from, from day one, but his position has really evolved more towards receiving the ball as opposed to being that absolutely just spe spectacular winger. So, uh, you know, I'm, I think it carried La Liga for, for some years, and I think La Liga mm -hmm. took a big blow when, um, when Ronaldo moved over to Juve. Um, there's a very good chance that La Liga is going to miss Messi Yeah. Uh, or lose Messi. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the interim president said he probably would have sold Messi if he could have, um, just because things are so difficult financially. Both um, Real Madrid and Barca are going to have to cut payroll. And I do think we may be hitting an inflection point where La Liga becomes the third best league uh, or the 
the the fourth, I do think that City A seems to be on the ascension, largely because of of, of player personnel and, and and balance within within the league. Any thoughts on on no, that? Absolutely, I I do feel the same way. Not because I personally like Serie A a lot, but because of what you just said. Uh, big names are um, are started to uh, be attracted again uh, to the Italian league, like it happened in you know the late '90s and uh, early 2000s. Um, back to your first point, when you said that uh, you you were sad not to have seen Ronaldo against Messi for a few years. I agree, but let's not discuss uh, a European Super League. I don't want that to happen. Remember, we had a conversation. We're not going to uh, even mention that. And um, and then, yes, it would be a big smash for La Liga to lose Messi because, as we know, he's running out of contract at the end of uh, of this season. He repeatedly said over, uh, when was it, August and September, that he wanted, to, he wanted out, wanted to leave the club, and um, just last week, Neymar in an interview said, well, I'm going to play with Messi again. We don't know what that means. If they've already verbally agreed on anything, it looked like Messi uh, could be headed to uh, Pep Guardiola's, to Man City. We don't know, but uh, the magnitude of tonight's clash between the two is just, is just fantastic. And let's not forget that they both have something to play for, even though they're both already qualified because if Juventus win with a three-goal margin, which is maybe unlikely but not impossible, Juventus will go through as first. And that has multiple benefits in Champions League because um, in the two-legged knockout format, you can play the second game at home and you're going to be drawn um, against a team that has qualified as second if you qualify as first. So... There is something to play for, uh, but Chris, there's also a couple of more um, interesting match internal matchups in this game because Arthur Melo and Miralem Pjanic, they are the two midfielders that got swapped last summer. So I just I'm just uh, looking forward to seeing what's what's happening there, and as well as Alvaro Morata and Antoine Griezmann, the two number nines, um, which I both admire for the movements in the box, their savviness. Um, I like that Griezmann has been on the rise again. Um, any more thoughts on um, uh, upcoming games? I know there's a lot. It's a thick schedule, but uh, I'll leave it up to you before wrapping it up. Well, I mean, I think the truth is is that the City A teams, uh, for the most part, with the exception of Juve, have, have kind of got their backs up against the wall uh, with respect to Champions League. The English teams have done extraordinarily well. Uh, and you know La, La Liga is 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 doing all right. So you know, I I just I hope that City A does does what it needs to do. Um, I think that the folks that organize City A schedules uh, were fairly thoughtful and humane. You know, as as I look through uh, the weekend matches, you know, they they tend to be the the. Champions League and Europa teams tend to be playing against middle to lower tier teams. Um, so it's only on Wednesday, the Juve Atalanta game has really kind of caught my interest. Mm. Uh, and um, then of course the, uh, the uh, Inter Napoli game uh, as well. So those are going to be some really <laughs> exciting matches next week after really playing th- three fairly com- 
significant games in a, in a span of seven days. So uh, we're going to see how, how well the squad depth does. We're going to see if the youth of, of those young Milan legs will be able to carry things on while he's at the Lazios and the Napoli's may or may not struggle um, with some youth and some depth issues. Any, any final thoughts on that? Yes, let's not forget to keep an eye on the Champions League and Europa League draw this Friday to hopefully see all seven Italian clubs being paired with someone. But we'll know more after this next two days. Chris, real pleasure discussing culture with you. Uh, please go ahead and enjoy the last round of the group stage for both Europa League and Champions League and round 11 of Serie A kicking off this Friday. We will be back next week. A presto.